If you have a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, the Red Pew Bible, go to the New Testament, the right-hand section of it, and find page 32, 33 is where we will be in Mark chapter 7 in those Red Pew Bibles this morning. We've been following the Gospel of Mark's account. Mark's Gospel is shorter. It's the first Gospel actually probably written as he gets information from Peter and writes those things down. We've been talking about the Pharisees because Jesus' ministry in Galilee to the north is, is sort of ending now, a couple of years out there. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the cross. And as he does, um, the Pharisees come up from the south because they've heard of how popular Jesus is. Jesus had fed the 5,000, which was actually probably 15 to 20,000 when you count women and children. And miracles took place there in that particular thing. And then uh, he met with the disciples in the boat in the middle of the sea, and they were kind of shook up. And it was kind of one of those aha moments in the middle of the night in the storm. And the disciples seemed to begin to recognize who Jesus really was in all of that. And then he comes across these Pharisees, and we saw last time. This is very important to understand the text for this morning, by the way. The Pharisees, when he began to get near where Peter lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there, there he found uh, the Pharisees had showed up. They, they'd walked a hundred miles all the way from Jerusalem and the scribes also, some scribes, and they began to try to find a loophole in Jesus' theology. They noticed his disciples were eating without washing their hands. They probably did wash their hands, just kind of like fishermen do, but they wanted the ceremonial washing of the elders' plans. They called it the tradition of the elders, and, and they didn't follow all those orderly things. And They had so many traditions that by the time about the 3rd century A.D., the, the Mishnah, which had all those laws, was almost three times of what we have in our actual New Testament Bibles, all the New Testament together. So they had all these, all these legal things in it there. But Jesus said to those people that were testing him, I'm going back to about verse, verse 15, he says, There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man or what defile the man. In other words, he's saying, you can wash your hands, that's not really what's going to defile you. It's your heart that defiles you, what comes from the inside and goes out. We talked about that. So we saw in those last verses, of 14 and 15 and 16 last week, a great catalog of sins, starting out with our thoughts, that's within the man, that defiles him. Another one was fornication, and I did mention fornication means like sexual things outside of marriage, but it's a whole lot more than that. It, it encompasses about everything you can, you can think of that's evil in that realm, including, including the issues today of homosexuality would clearly be in that word also. Jesus just put one word out that takes care of everything there. And then he calls for adultery too, and murders, adultery would be when there's a sex with another person's spouse. Big long list of sins there. That which comes from within. He's talking to the Pharisees, who were the top Jews in terms of religious things. And uh, it was a very difficult time there. They were concerned. 
Growing opposition was against Jesus, including them. They were looking for something they could find to just nail him there. This was really more or less the end, really, of Christ's ministry in the north with the Jews, primarily. So we find ourselves in Mark chapter 7, and now verse 24, where we have two unusual stories about healing. And you'll say, well, what's that got to do with what just happened? Well, you'll see after a while, that's quite a bit. With the background that you see in the earlier part of the chapter, now Christ goes into Gentile territory. Keep in mind, the Pharisees were very concerned about being unclean because they didn't wash their hands right. Didn't wash their hands right. And why this is important to us as Christians is why Jesus goes into this unclean area. We're going to see him here today. So there are two stories here. There's a woman and there's a man. There's sickness. There's problems in both cases, physical problems that Jesus meets with here. So we start out in verse 24. Verse 24, the woman whose daughter is delivered here. It says in verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from where he was with all the Pharisees here in uh, northern Galilee. He leaves northern Galilee from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. Incidentally, these stories both have famous paintings attached to them, so I popped that one painting up there to kind of give you an idea. Not, not that the artist is always right in the way he places the people in there. They used artistic license sometimes, but I think you'll see what the real picture was like as we look through this text here. So, he went away with his disciples here. We find that the disciples are really with him here. We don't know much about all that happened except these two stories here. He went away to Tyre, which is up on the sea coast there. Why did Jesus go into this Gentile area? Why did he go? Well, first of all, he went for safety because his life was becoming endangered because of the Pharisees trying to find something to, uh, to nail him or his disciples with. It, had, was a matter of, uh, it was a matter of safety. It was not yet time for the cross, not yet time for him to die on the cross, so he had to go because that time was determined by the Lord in due time and that would take place within a year or so. Another reason he went was because he needed some R&R. He was exhausted. Everywhere he went, people were coming. The crowds were coming. The crowds of the 5,000 on the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee had just inundated him and his disciples and they just came over there for a little rest and it didn't work out that way at all. It ended up in hours and hours of teaching and then, and then a miracle and all of that. And then he, he sent them away and he came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where Peter lived and his disciples there were with him and, and the crowds came again. They came again and he was exhausted and he was worn out and he was tired. Jesus had a physical body and he would get tired like you and I also. The only difference is he didn't complain about it, probably like we do sometimes, because he was sinless. So it was for safety, and it was for R&R from these massive crowds. He needed to relax, and also for training. He took the 12 with him. 
The twelve are more ready for this now. As I said, when they were in the boat going across the sea, Jesus wasn't with them. They got scared. Jesus walked on the water. He stepped into the boat. And there was one of those I am, ego I me times when Jesus said, I am. And they remembered the Old Testament. They began to realize who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. But it still was hard for them to grasp that. So they needed training here. And they needed some teaching and so forth. So here they are. They're in training again while they're on this trip. And we don't know exactly what they learned. Because the scripture doesn't tell us much. But it becomes obvious that that was going on. John chapter 6 gives us a little bit more of the picture in the background. If you want to check that out sometimes. Twice before Jesus had uh, withdrawn with the twelve from the crowds, the first time was um, when he had gone over to the eastern side and the garrison demoniac was there, if you remember. And the garrison demoniac was a man that was crazy and he was cutting himself and he was living in the tombs and people were afraid of him. And, and Jesus healed that man, cleansed him there. And then also the other time, so Jesus didn't get much um, R&R there either. The second time was when he went back to feed the 5,000, and that's not why he went. He went for quiet, but 5,000 came anyway and uh, was busy. So twice he did that in those particular situations. So, but he went to Tyre. He went to Tyre. Got a picture of kind of the route that he went here from what we read here. Tyre was a city that was, uh, if you put the picture up, guys, was uh, on, the, on the Mediterranean Sea there, a little bit to the north, and uh, it's going to come pretty soon. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a place where the Gentiles lived, and it was a big city, with a lot of corruption there too, by the way. And it was, about, it was about 30 miles or so up there, so they walked, they left where the place where Peter lived on Galilee was, and they walked up through the mountains to the north, you can see the first arrow on the left there, and arrived at Tyre, and they spent some time there, and then after that, they would go north to Sidon, it mentions that, in Phoenicia, and then after they were there a while, they would go southeast to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, a place called Decapolis, which means ten cities, ten cities. Jesus had been there before, we don't know exactly what took place except for these two incidents there. But Tyre was a place of great wickedness. Jezebel lived there who tormented Elijah, if you remember, in the Old Testament. So it was a place where that was. Baal worship was also there and it took place there. And he was a kind of the supreme Canaanite god, Baal. It's not a real person, but it was a, a, a stone god, I guess you could say. He was considered to be a sun god, therefore, when it got too hot, they would sacrifice their children to try to bring the temperature down and make Baal happy. They would burn their children alive, it says in ancient documents. So that was a, not a good place to be. Also, Milkart, the god of Tyre, is thought to be there. He was the king of the underworld and he was the protecting God of the city of Tyre and he was considered to be kind of the lord of Tyre and the progenitor of the Tyre royal family. It was quite a big city and they've excavated it. Quite a large place. It wasn't just a little village. So the rabbis said this place was full of paganism and idolatry. 
And that's where I think this is really interesting when you contrast it with what we looked last week and where the Pharisees come up and talk about ceremonial cleansing and they're so, so concerned because the disciples didn't wash their hands right. They had to go through all this. They had lost sight of practical hygiene in light of doing things traditionally there. So it's really interesting here, according to the tradition of the elders, when you compare with that, that Jesus now is in probably the most notorious unclean place that he could get to in a day's walk. He's in a place where it is so corrupt, and that's where Jesus does some ministry here. Isn't that interesting? Verse 25 goes on to say, but after hearing of him, that's the people of Tyre, the crowds start coming even when he's there. They know about him, even though this is Gentile territory. This is not Palestine. This is not Israel now. It says, after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately, there's that word that Mark, John Mark likes to use, immediately, immediately. That's why his gospel is called the the newspaper version, immediately came and fell at his feet. This woman came and fell at Christ's feet. She was desperate. She'd probably tried all the kinds of gods that were in Tyre at the time, and nothing seemed to work, and so she now comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And wherever people were, when they knew Jesus was there, they came, and she was one of them. Her daughter had a demon, it says there too, later on. And so this was a real problem. She came, though, immediately. She didn't waste any time, and she came to Jesus' feet. Let me say, when we have problems, that's what we need to do, isn't it? Come to the feet of Jesus. Health problems. This coronavirus thing, by the way, is one of those things. What can you do about it? Come to Jesus' feet. I think that uh, we should not be fearful, but we should trust in the Lord and fall at the feet of Christ, true God, and uh, not be fearful. Be wise, yes. I'm not saying don't, be, don't take some precautions, but trust God. And this is a wonderful time when people are panicking and hauling stuff out of Costco by the, by the flat cart loads. Entire pickup full stacked up above the, above the rails the other night when Nancy and I were there, and we were just getting a couple of things, actually. In fact, our refrigerator's empty now after we ate all the food that our grandkids uh, left there when they went back to Ukraine. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, but don't be, this is a great time to witness to people and draw them to the feet of Jesus. It's time to come and not be fearful and trust God because God has a plan. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God's in charge. Pray. Don't panic. Pray. Trust God. Well, it says in verse 26, now verse 26, the woman was a Gentile. Well, that's obvious. She was not in Israel now. She was not from the stock of Israel. She was of the Syrophoenician race, which means a race of people that were sort of from Syria and Phoenicia, that area. And so she was really a, probably a Roman, probably came there and uh, was living there. 
And she kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. So we find out that she's got a demon in her daughter there. And demons were real, by the way. They, they, are, they are fallen angels. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament. Uh, they don't wear uh, red outfits and have a tail and horns like you see in the comics. Not at all. They would be fallen angels, but they had power to go within people. And Jesus would deal with them when no one else could. And this child, little child, a small child, the little, little girl had, had this demon and it was just vexing her. And so this woman was out of options and she came there. It says in Matthew chapter 15 verse 23, it says his disciples, and it adds to the story. Matthew's the one place that adds a little bit extra detail to this story. The other gospels don't include it. His disciples kept asking him saying, send her away for she is shouting after us. That's what the disciples said to, the, to Jesus about the woman that was there. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, wait a minute. She's not from Israel. She's not one of those. Was he saying that he wasn't sent to them? Well, it was not that a Gentile could not be saved. In fact, probably most all of us here are Gentiles this morning. And many of us, I'm sure, would claim that we are saved because we put our faith in Christ and that was part of God's plan. But we know that in the book of Acts, it tells us and reveals, and of course that didn't come until a little bit later after Christ died on the cross, the book of Acts reveals that also with the starting of the Jerusalem church that the great commission was given there and they were told by the Lord to go and witness in Jerusalem, that would be the heart of it, then and um, then to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. But Jerusalem is where it all started. So Jesus said those things because he was just talking about what the great plan was. The great plan was you start with Israel and he was to reach Israel first and foremost, but there would come a time when he would reach the Gentiles too. <clears throat> and he's doing it right here, by the way. Matthew 15, verse 25 says, But she came and began to bow down. This woman, she bowed down before him, humble status here, saying, Lord, help me. And she fell, knowing, Jesus, knowing Christ was her last hope, I think, here. The pagan gods were no help. We mentioned some of them earlier. We certainly all need to come at the feet of Christ here. There are times in life when we do that. I remember when I was just a young teenager, my mother started having some illness and it didn't seem to, doctors couldn't seem to figure it out. She was limping with one leg and they tried this and they tried that. And she was in the hospital for a while and then they took her to Spokane because we lived in central eastern Washington. We went 100 miles to Spokane to the doctors there. They did x-rays, etc. They found out that she had a brain tumor in her brain and it was affecting her. And they said, we need to do surgery. They did the surgery. And I remember, I'm not sure if this is before or after the surgery, I was with my dad in Spokane at my aunt's house. And um, my dad was a man that went to church. He didn't seem to know the Bible real well, but he knew the, knew the important parts. And I think it was a night before her surgery, he and I slept in one big bed in my aunt's house. And uh, he said, let's pray. We got down on our knees 
beside the bed, and he wept as he prayed. There are those moments when things just don't seem to go right. You don't know what to do. That's what we knew. That's what she did. She bowed down. Lord, help me. That was the essence of it. My mother had the surgery. Doctors couldn't do anything about the brain tumor because it was deeply embedded. She lived with it. A little bit of radiation for a while. For about seven, eight years, Nancy took care of her a little while when we were not yet married and and uh, eventually died. It wasn't a loss because that was one of the things that drew me to the Lord. It's one of the things that really caused me to fall into the ministry later. And that's why I'm here. But we learn from those things and we should fall at the feet of Jesus. This virus thing is the same kind of thing like that. It's a great opportunity for us to, 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 to lead others to Christ and draw them to Him. Verse 27. Christ direct answer is here. And he said to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is what Jesus is saying with this woman on her knees on the floor and his disciples were pressing him to chase her out of the house. He said, let the children be satisfied first. What is Jesus saying there? And then there are those who will have the bread like dogs on the floor. Well, we know if you look back, what he is referring to was the children be the children of Israel. They were the ones the gospel was supposed to go to first. That's where Jesus started in Jerusalem, and it wasn't over yet because he hasn't died on the cross yet. But the crumbs were those like those the dogs would eat, and the word for dogs would refer to Gentiles here. You see, that's kind of coarse, isn't it? Well, no, because there's a couple of different words for dogs, and this word is not the word for a mangy dog. In Greek, it's really the word for a puppy, for a puppy. So it makes it a little more understandable what he was saying here. Eventually, the Gentiles would get fed the gospel too, and they would get fed right here and there too. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, the twelve sent out after instructing them, Jesus sent them out, and what he said to them was, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the cities of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. This is, this is how Jesus and directed his disciples earlier on. He said, go to the Jews first, because it's to the Jews first the gospel will go, and then they were the ones who were to carry it to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be a priestly nation in the Old Testament. They dropped the ball. They got all caught up in legalism and traditions, like the Pharisees did. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul later on says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, or the Gentile, that's what that means, also to the Greek. So that includes everybody. Jew first, and also to the Greek. They're in Tyre now, and, and Tyre... People there were looking for help there. It's interesting, even in the Old Testament, Tyre is mentioned as a place where 
Probably the gospel will come someday. This is a psalm, Psalm 87, verse 2. It's very interesting here as he talks about the coming messianic kingdom, which hasn't actually happened yet, but it's coming. Psalm 82, verse 7, The Lord loves the gates of Zion, that would be Israel, more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob, so that's to the Jews. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. That's Israel, of course. But verse 4 says, And I shall mention Rahab, which actually is referring to Egypt, and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born here. So he's saying that the gospel is going to come to all those places in due time. And there was an essence, there was an, a sense in which some of it was coming there that day. And this term dogs here means puppy. And so the crumbs on the floor would be like for this woman who was down there. Not a mangy, dirty, shabby, worthless dog, but little puppies. Verse 28. Verse 28. This is what the woman said. The woman answered and said to him, to Jesus, she said, Yes, Lord. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? That's, that's not a hard one to memorize, is it? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She's appealing to Jesus because she knew what that meant, I believe, there. And she just wanted some crumbs. She just wanted some help with her daughter. Let me tell you, this lady had a lot against her. She really did. If you look at it and you look at the story here, first of all, she was a woman. That was a problem, especially in Gentile, Gentile world. That was a problem. That wasn't in her favor. Secondly, she was a Gentile. That was a problem now with Jesus there. And um, in, in the Jewish eyes, of course. And then thirdly, um, the disciples wanted to get rid of her. And they said, oh, couldn't you just chase her off, Jesus? They didn't quite understand all that yet either. And that's why they were there, because Jesus was training them. And then Christ seemed to be against her himself when he, when he referred to her as a dog, but he wasn't. He was referring to the fact that she was of the secondary race that gospel would come to eventually, but it was up to the Jews to get that gospel out. That's why it started in Jerusalem. And then, fifthly, Satan was against her. It was a demon in her child. I believe it was a real demon because that's what it says. These demons did have that power. Jesus dealt with them before, and they obeyed when he said go. They did. But she, but on the on behalf of the woman, you'll notice that she persisted and she did not give up. She was on her knees. She agreed with Jesus about the fact that she was a dog. She agreed with that. Most of us wouldn't like that too well. And she called him Lord, kurios, which means master. That's a major term there. And she agreed that even the little dogs or the puppies under the table would get some crumbs there. After all, what a story. This woman was humble. That's the way it ought to be when we come to Christ anyway. Remember, you're Gentiles. There's only one or two Jewish people here that I know of. Verse 29 and 30. 29 and 30 now. And he said to her, because of the answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. He was testing her earlier. He said, just go home now. It's all done. It's all taken care of. Your daughter's fine. He commanded the demon to leave by remote control. 
That's what happened there. Verse 30 says, And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon, demon having left. We don't see a lot of demon activity like that in the States, but there is it sometimes, and certainly it is in South American countries where my son was and where we have been in a couple places in Ukraine. It seems very much like that, but this was real. The demon left. We don't know how far it was. It wasn't too far because the lady walked there very quickly probably. Maybe it was a few blocks or more. And Twice in the Gospels, Christ commanded such faith that this woman had. He really did. One was, of course, this woman. And then the other one was for a centurion in Matthew chapter 8 when he came seeking for his servant. And you know, both of them were Gentiles. And Jesus commended them. It doesn't say that about Jews, but it says that about Gentiles. Two times in the Gospels there. So that's a good ending to that little story. Now there's a second story that links with this here in this section in verse 31 through 37. Starting in verse 31, this is about a deaf man who was deaf and dumb, means he couldn't speak, and he was restored here. And there's a famous picture about that too. I'll put that up there just briefly. It says in verse 31, Again he went out from this region of Tyre, and through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. So he's in that northern area along the coast there. He went up to Sidon, which is another 20, 25, 30 miles, and, um, and spent some time there. We don't really know much of what went on there. Uh, then he went east. Uh, I drew kind of an angular line there. Probably was more of a curved line. He may have gone east and then south across the headwaters of the Jordan, which are very narrow up there. We've been up there. It's seen. It's a very beautiful place right next to the Syrian border. We were right within 100 feet of the Syrian border when we were there last time. And um, the Jordan River came out of there and went down to the Sea of Galilee and so forth. And nothing much is said. So about 80 miles from where he went entire a little bit of ways up to Sidon and then turned right and headed east or southeast and ended up down in this place called Decapolis, the city of uh, ten cities, place of ten cities, just on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. But it's really a Gentile place over there. On the west side would be Jewish, but on the east side it would be much more Gentile. Very interesting place here. And... Um, it was considered unclean also. So Jesus is another, in another unclean place, and I don't know what the Pharisees would have thought if they knew that he was there, but they really are going to be upset when they find out about this. Matthew chapter 15, as it describes the same incident, says he went up to a mountain, and that's, that's kind of interesting. Matthew 15, 29 because, talking about this event, because he had been there before to Decapolis and on a mountain he found this demoniac who was possessed by a demon. If you remember, this was a couple of chapters back, chapter 5, and that demoniac uh, was running about, cutting himself, living in the tombs, and everybody was afraid of him. But now Jesus goes up to a mountain, perhaps the same one again. Verse 32, it says, when he got to Decapolis, they, that would be the people of Decapolis, brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. 
They implored him to lay hands, his hands on him. The first time he went to Decapolis, remember what happened? He, he, he cast a demon out. The people were so amazed they came to see because this man was normal now. And the demons asked for permission to be dealt with kindly. So he cast the demons into 2,000 pigs and they ran off the edge of the cliff and were drowned. It's called suicide. Did you get it? I know you were waiting for that one. 2,000 pigs drowned there. But the people were afraid of him. And they ran the other direction. Except for the demoniac that's now healed and he's normal, he's normal mind. If you remember that story, what happened there is he wanted to go with Jesus across on the boat, but Jesus said, no, go back to your people and tell them what has happened. In other words, be an evangelist in your cities, the ten cities of Decapolis. And that's what he did, because now, here in verse 32, the people came to Jesus, and they're bringing people, and they brought this, this guy that was deaf and dumb, and they wanted help. You see, you see how things changed? Because Christ had been there once, and that man had witnessed, I believe, there. Wow, it's, it's pretty exciting. When we are faithful to witness of the gospel. God works in ways we don't understand and things change. Maybe that he was born deaf or had some problems. He doesn't seem to be able to understand things. Maybe they tried to train him. It's more likely he was actually born that way and he could not speak because if you can't, if you can't hear, you don't know how to make the words. They can, they can kind of give you some information about that and so you can make your tongue go a certain way to kind of mouth something, but it doesn't always work out quite right, and it's kind of hard to understand people like that. So those kind of people really are the kind of people who really do not want to be in public places because it's kind of fearful. Nobody understands them, and they don't understand anybody. They're kind of like in their own little world here. It's a very, very interesting thing. I've had a little... I'll tell you my physical problem. I got a little wax in my ear this last week and I couldn't hear very well. I keep saying, what did you say, Annie? What did you say? What did you say? I'm getting better though, aren't I, right? Yep, I am. But uh, it's, it, the wax is getting cleaned out there. Anyway, enough of that garbage. Um, verse 33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. And that's kind of a uh, uh, kind of a warm thing there that I see Jesus did. He didn't do it in front of the people because, like I said, I think that he was probably nervous about being around people with his uh, not able to speak and not able to hear. So Jesus kindly took him away, and that painting doesn't indicate that, by the way. The painting is a little bit off on that point. But these are famous stories. And notice what he did. It says he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva, and looking up at heaven, to heaven, with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephathra, which means be opened. It was um, Aramaic, Aramaic language, which most of the people spoke. That was real common then. So watch what Jesus is doing. And now let's look at that just a little closer. First thing Jesus did, he was compassionate. That's, that's a very important point. He was compassionate. And actually, he was compassionate to the woman also, if you go back and look at that. 
The second thing that Jesus did here is uh, he used sign language to talk to this man. He took his fingers and he put his fingers in his ear. And if the man was facing him, he probably put his right finger in his left ear and his left finger in his right ear and stuck them in there somehow. That's what it looks like it's saying there. There might be some different, some variation there, but that's what he did. And this, this man knew right away something was going on. When he got fingers in his ear, he knew something was going to happen with his ears, you know. He may have known a little bit about Jesus, but the people that led him there definitely were the ones who knew, and they wanted him to come there. And then number three, number three, Jesus spit somehow, and that spit ended up on his tongue. Nancy and I debated about this. What exactly did Jesus do? Did he take a finger out of the ear and then spit on that and put it on his tongue? I don't know. It may be. It doesn't seem to say that to me. It may be the man stuck a tongue out and then Jesus just spit on his tongue. Now, is that unclean or what? Is that unclean or what? Jesus didn't wash his hands. Stuck them in his ear. And then he spits on his tongue, or at least he spit on his greasy finger and then put it on his tongue. It was, it was an unceremonially unclean place there. No ceremonial washing like the Pharisees did at all. Just spitting and sticking fingers in ears. And his ears were probably dirty, too, being a Gentile there. Ugh, kind of thinking about that one. Sound crazy, doesn't it? But then he looks to heaven, looks to heaven there. Jesus looks up towards heaven there, and um, it seems like he sighed there. It's kind of like uh, his authority came from heaven. That was a symbol of that. And um, God showed his blessing there, and he said that word, and the man's ears and man's tongue were released. Verse 35, verse 35, his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. He'd never been able to hear before. He didn't know what language really was, but suddenly he understood. He understood Aramaic. He understood Greek, if it was, or Hebrew, whatever it was going on there. And he was able to speak. He had a new language. He never knew this language before. Listen, I've been trying to learn languages for a long time. Worked on a really hard seminary with Greek and Hebrew, and now Russian. And let me tell you, it's not easy. But instantaneously, this man he had the ability to speak. What a moment. It makes me want to cry just thinking about it. That must have been for Jesus and for this man. And for the crowds that were around him now, they are astounded. The ones who had previously ran from Jesus, because they saw he had some kind of power, but they were worried about it. Now, they are coming to him like a magnet. Verse 36, he gave them orders not to tell anyone. Don't tell them. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. The people of Decapolis wanted to tell everybody about it. Remember earlier in the other story when he was at Decapolis and um, the man that had the demon um, out of him? What did Jesus tell him to do? Don't tell anyone? No. He said, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. But now he says, don't tell anyone. But they didn't listen. They, they told everybody. They couldn't help it because they saw something that was clearly miraculous here. Well, what's going on here 
Crowds are there. They're listening. Why didn't Jesus want them to tell anyone? It was a big crowd. It was a great opportunity. It wasn't time. The reason why, I I believe, is because it was not yet time for him to die on the cross and, and things were still happening. They would go back and talk to each other and certainly that would be a thing. They didn't want the Pharisees. He didn't want the Pharisees to know what was going on because they would come after him and in his time he would go to the cross. We all know that. They were, verse 37 says, utterly astonished. Not just a little bit. Hmm, that's interesting. No, it wasn't that. It was like, wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. They were saying, and he has done all things well. That's probably the highest commendation they could give. All things well, everything that he did. There was no complaints whatsoever here in this particular situation. He makes even deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They'd never seen anything like that before. And these were Gentiles, remember. Gentiles. Demoniac before was one of those, but that just kind of played into this particular section. I'm going to have our servers come and prepare for the Lord's table now, but I just want us to think about that for a couple of minutes while they're preparing here. We're going to observe the Lord's table, and that's for all who are genuinely born again. And we don't police the Lord's table. You can take it or leave it as it comes by. Don't be afraid one way or the other. And when it does come by uh, and you take it, um, we don't take it all together at one time, but you take it whenever you're ready before the Lord as we have a time of prayer. But listen, listen just a minute. Back to the story for a second as we think about that. Just listen. We are all Gentiles today. I know Sharon is Jewish, and maybe there's others. But largely, we're the dogs under the table. We're the dogs. Sometimes in America, we hear the gospel, and we talk about it, and we talk about going to other places. Let's take the gospel to Israel. We almost feel like we're the Israelites, and we're first, and then everybody else is second. But it's the other way around. Christ was on his way to the cross here, and he would die on that cross so that The gospel would go to the Jews first, but it would later go to the Gentiles also. God has been gracious to us this morning. America is a well-known place, a very unique place because of the many churches and the much gospel that we have here. But the gospel came to the Gentiles because of things like this. So, God has been gracious. He's come to you. If he has not come to you, if you aren't sure... I would encourage you to bow down before him, spiritually speaking, and reach out to him and and ask him to forgive you of your sin and and repent of that sin and and ask him to give you your salvation, which he died on the cross for, which he died on the cross for. The cross right behind me, picture of it right there on uh, on the wall, obviously the cross window we call it. The cross reminds me, the vertical part reminds me of Jesus. Obviously that's where he died on that cross. But the, uh, the yard arms, the pieces that go out to the side there, one sort of reminds me of the Jews. He went to the Jews, but he also went to the Gentiles. And of course, we have the thieves who are on both sides of the cross too. It's a little bit of a picture of that in my mind also. But we're coming to uh, the Lord's table. We're reminded of the cross, what Christ did for us on the cross. He was going to the cross later on after this particular event, and uh, he would die on that cross 
for the Jews and the Gentiles. Isn't that an amazing thing? Listen to these words where we are given the instructions for one of the two ordinances of the New Testament church. Ordinances are things that we were commanded to do. One was to baptize. It's in the Great Commission. Go therefore make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in the other uh, Great Commission passage, it talks about going from Jerusalem, Judea, and so forth. But here it talks about the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, verse 23, where it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Apostle Paul saying here, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, do it in remembrance of me. It was a symbolic thing. You remember it. You remember things that are symbolic. It was a, it was a kind of thing that you would keep and not forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember Christ dying on that cross. You know, when you take it today, remember that and think about that. You are probably Gentiles unless you're a Jew. He died for you also. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembering him in his shed blood on the cross and because of that shed blood, in a sense that blood is applied to us for forgiveness when we come to him. If we don't come to him for forgiveness, then we are ever eternally lost and on our way to hell. There's no other way around it. The way is narrow and few there be that find it. Jesus said, I am, ego I me, what God said to Moses. Ego I me, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we should eat this, as of course the scripture says, with the right heart attitude in thankfulness, like the woman on our knees, like the, like the deaf mute, just overwhelmed with this new language, new life, new hearing. It stirred up that whole community and the gospel came to the Gentiles in Tyre, Syria, and Decapolis. One of the first times. Let's pray as we ask for the blessing on the Lord's table this morning and then our servers will come around and feel free to take it if you like or not, either way. Father, we do thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. It is amazing to see how these stories fit in juxtaposition to the Pharisees' complaints in the earlier part of the chapter. It's amazing as a man and a woman. It's amazing. They were lost as all are outside of Christ. And they bowed themselves. And Christ came and healed and changed them. And their story went out among their peoples. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your body. Thank you, Lord, for your blood on the cross for it. These things remind Good thing to be thinking about from time to time as we come and take the Lord's table. This is not a tradition. This is something we do in remembrance. It's not a ceremony. It's something to remind us of who we are and what God has done for us who are so undeserving, so full of sin. May your blessing be on these elements and each who take them, we pray 
in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.